Hello, welcome to On Resistance. I am X, and today we have two lovely guests, two of my favorite movement people right now, ever, <laughs> really. First, it's we have Cece McDonald. Cece McDonald gained national and international attention as she is an organizer against the prison industrial complex since her incarceration where she was defending herself against fascists and friends against a transphobic and racist attack and put in prison in 2012. She started doing work around the prison industrial complex and been on shows with Laverne Cox, Democracy Now!, and Katie Couric. Please welcome Cece McDonald. Yay! <laughs> and Hi, everybody. Joining us in the conversation, we also have a wonderful, <sighs> close comrade of mine. Chella Coleman is an organizer working in downtown Los Angeles, Skid Row, looking at the intersections of race, transphobia, and class. She also is an artist using art to help people find her their resilience as well as she has an article on black girl dangerous entitled battleground please welcome chella Chella <laughs> thank you thank you all right y'all oh it is it's hot in her so yeah i i guess i just wanted to get right into it regarding um the work that people are doing and how people are doing. Um, Cece, I guess I wanted to ask you personally how you've been coping um, since your incarceration. What's your self-care been looking like lately? I know that as a queer trans people, we got to keep up with the self-care. Definitely. I can say that my life has pretty much been a real a whirlwind since being out. Both good you know, the positive and, of course, the negative, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, <clears throat> dealing with the environment of being in prison, seeing how that changes you mentally and spiritually, you know, dealing with having to have this label of felon on my record, and that's been kind of harmful uh, when it comes to, like, looking for apartments or jobs and things. So I'm currently somewhat homeless. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I have people that, you know, are willing to take me in and let me stay with them until I figure out, you know, housing situations. It's still a struggle for me on a day-to-day basis. I try really hard to maintain focus and stability. And I mean that in all aspects of life, not just you know, me navigating through society, which is already a task as is. Mm-hmm. So I'm just constantly finding ways to keep myself uplifted and in positive energy. But I can also say that it, it has been a struggle dealing with a lot of things um, pertaining to the incident and being in prison and having to deal with the mental aspect of that and you know I I try to talk a lot about mental health and the state Mm. of you know the demonization and criminalization of mental health and why it's important that people understand that that is a major factor in the way that you know people more specifically 
trans and non-gender conforming and queer people have to deal with because the everyday wear and tear that we go through, it affects us mentally. And from being homeless to being raped to being uh, jobless to being trans or queer or gender non-conforming are things that are already tie in with some form of mental health or mental instability that isn't really talked about um, in the <clears throat> community. So it's really important that, you know, I talk about that a lot of times because, you know, people can see me and they think that I have a, uh, they might assume, I should say, that mm-hmm. I have it all together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it can, you know, not be the case 100% of the time or, who I am, you know, when I'm on the stage or when I'm talking to a group of people is the fierce woman that I am. But, of course, like any human, I still deal with the things in my personal life that, you know, trigger things or haunt me or, you know, keep me not wanting to go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm like I said, I'm just dealing with the pros and cons of being trans, being a ex-prisoner being a black woman you know just all of these things you know and that's life and i'm just handling it the best way that i know how you know every day i'm learning every day i'm trying to figure out who i am as a person you know like just being myself and just growing and you know but i am very humbled and blessed and thankful that I was able to make it to another day in life because social media have given this new spotlight to the troubles that trans women face and one of them is violence mm-hmm. and the high depth, you know, rate that trans women are facing in this country and it's important that people know these things. But, you know, I'm just being mean. You know? Word, yeah. Honeybee. Yeah. Word. I feel like I, I have a lot in common with you. I know there it's a lot of commonalities when it comes to trans black uh, folks because, I mean, like, yeah, look at, I mean, in terms of how things are going for me once I got involved with activism and started getting a record because of activism, it's like, you know, there is this issue of, of me now not being able to to get work because I have a record and I just want people to know out there that it it's systemic. It isn't just like an individual, you know, case by case basis. This is a systemic issue that trans black predominantly black trans women are going through. Um I guess this next question is for both of y'all. Uh I know that the recent deaths of black trans women this year alone have been extremely overwhelming for a lot of us. Uh, what are some of the healing processes y'all practice in order to cope? Um, we can start with you, Chella. Oh, wow. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Of course. Okay. I'm sorry, y'all. I have a little cold, so bear with me. Um, one of the things I've been doing in self-care is, number one, just uh, keeping myself grounded, uh, remembering that I could be next, right? Uh, mm. I started the hashtag, I might be next or I could be next. And just collecting my community together, like the trans folks I work with. Recently, I got a job working with this other group that are not trans people at all, but also like including the, the voice of trans people in that. Um, I've also just 
you know, reached out to other trans women of color that are, you know, dealing with the same things, right? Like, dealing with not just losing someone in our community, but losing a friend, right? So I find writing really good and helpful and listening to music as I go to sleep, you know, put some Beyonce on, (laughs) put some Rihanna on. Heck, and today I was listening to Deborah Cox. Okay. So, you know, doing doing a bunch of things, watching TV, disengaging myself from the world, turning off my phone. Um, not to say that I don't care in those moments. It's just that, as Audre Lorde says, uh, self-care is an act of revolution, right? I can't be doing something for the world if I'm not taken care of. As well as picking those two or three people that I can bear it all to, uh, having really good friends. Like Chella said, I'm... I'm- really good with reaching out to a lot of my trans sisters, especially, you know, of color. Mm. Um, I know that there has been an overwhelming number of trans deaths just alone when we have to remind ourselves that this year is only two months in. We're we're only, we're just now, you know, gonna be done with March. I mean, February. And there have already been about eight murders this year of Mm -hmm. trans women. Mm -hmm. And it's really frustrating and upsetting because you want to be that person that saves these women. And it can can be a challenge, you know, spiritually and mentally to constantly see that trans women are being murdered, no matter how much FaceTime or Spotlight or you know, any of us are getting, and it seemed like with the positivity of trans visibility now, that it it has created this this new type of hatred towards trans women mm. because now people see us in a different perspective, and and they're still not wanting to attach the humanity to us or to mm. see that we're people. So it's hard for them to assimilate or find the same type of feelings. You know, I read the comments that a lot of people leave on, you know, the posts that people make about their loved ones when it comes to trans women. And Mm -hmm. it's really saddening and gross to see that, you know, people still have these views or ideas of trans women and, you know, what we do in our lives privately or day to day or if we're in the media. And it's it's really frustrating because it seemed like no matter how, you know, loud we yell or how hard we fight that it's still gonna be that that problem of violence towards trans women and the rate of deaths that we see in our community. So I'm constantly having to tell myself, you know, you know, that that could be me, you know, mm. or any occasion, or that things will get better, you know, that there are people out here that are fighting hard and that there are trans women who are day by day, you know, accepting that and coming out and saying, hey, I'm trans, you know, I've seen so many people who are in in the media or, you know, in the celebrity quote, you know, quote unquote, um, but it's also really important that we talk about the non-work 
that a lot of trans women don't do when it comes to you know the violence that trans women have and having people to speak out for these instances you know we have trans women uh assimilating with the ideas mm. of the mediocrity of the gay and lesbian mm -hmm. you know idea and they don't understand that their struggle isn't the same as ours so Fighting for marriage equality wasn't something that I was necessarily, um, con you know, concerned about. I mean, it's great that people want to have the same marriage equality. But I feel like as a trans woman, that was the last thing that I needed to be right. worried about when I'm right. constantly seeing trans women being murdered. You know what I'm saying? So that was the last thing that I was telling myself. You know, I was just. Earlier today on the phone with Renata, uh, Renata and Patrice of the New Jersey Four, mm -hmm. and we were talking about like, yeah, you know, we're gay or we're lesbian or we're trans, but what about the part of us being black or what about yes. the part of us, you know, what about the part of us being everyday people or having yes. to navigate through life and through society and you know have these labels attached to us? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. it's so much stuff that is. Uh, so basically what I'm saying is, like, I have to also put into consideration the other things that aren't attached to me being trans. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can get killed for being black, you know? Yes. A lot of people don't want to make those connections in my case. With my case specifically, they always just mm -hmm. throw in the fact that it was about me being trans. And it's like, no, it was a lot about me being black, too. So let's yeah. not yeah. A lot of people don't want to, a lot of people just want to ignore that part. You know what I'm saying? But it's really important that I tell myself every day, like, yes, I'm trans. Yes, I'm black. You know what I'm saying? That mm -hmm. it's not just about me being trans, that I have to fight these systematic issues on different planes because it's, it's you don't know what you're going to get it going. So I'm constantly, you know, telling myself, you know, like, you have to be strong, you have to be focused, you have to empower, you know, your your brothers and sisters, you know, whether it be your trans brothers and sisters or your, you yes. know, your uh, sisters and brothers of color, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really important that I not just focus on the one thing because people will constantly try to knock your focus off of things that are just as important as being trans, like mm -hmm. being a person of color. So, you know, I'm constantly, like Shelly said, I'm constantly listening to music and I'm constantly, you know, giving myself space to think and to write or to draw or to do what I need to do that, that opens my mind up to, you know, being a strong trans woman and a strong activist and a strong leader, you know, not just for my trans community, but for my community of color, for, you know, my family, for the people who don't have a voice, for the people who consider suicide, for is there so many things that are related to me as a person that's in my life that I go through and I reminisce and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should talk about that because that's something that's not talked about. You know what I'm saying? I'm bringing up the things that people are afraid to talk about or don't want to talk about because it's not important to them. So mm -hmm. I'm constantly educating myself, constantly seeing, you know, how I can get involved with projects or helping people with projects and, you know, yeah. making sure that I'm uplifting my community. And whichever community I'm choosing to lift up, I'm giving positive and loving energy. Yes. Word. Word. That's real. Yes. Do y'all do you think all women are under attack or is it femininity in general 
that is under oh, attack. Oh, no, it's definitely women. I was just literally right before y'all called, I was watching this video on Facebook about it was uh, a father, and he was whooping his daughter with a belt because mm. he was talking to somebody on Facebook. She was a 13-year-old teenager. And I'm having this conversation with my little um, sibling, they're gender nonconformist, so I call them my little sibling. And, um, yes. That's nice. <laughs> and I'm like, there is ways that you handle situations like this. Now, instead of persecuting this young girl for, you know, exploring her her sexual prowess, what you do when you're a teenager, you're you're trying to figure out who you are as a person. You're ex- you know, you're experimenting, you're doing things. So instead of persecuting, he should have educated her, told her yes. the pros and cons of being a woman in this world and, you know, the chances of, you know, catching HIV, you know, for a black woman. That's something really important. That's something that should be talked about. Instead of sitting there and whooping her like she's a slave and, like, I try to make, like, I love reading this book by Bell Hooks and she was talking mm. about, you know, the connection of how this plantation mentality is still stuck with black people. White supremacist you know, thinking. White like how we thing. how we raise our children, how we choose to be our children instead of talking to them and, you know, giving them that, you know, that master type of authority over our, you know, our young children. They grow up with this. You know what I'm saying? That scars them both physically and mentally. Why don't we talk about these things? You know what I'm saying? So, yes, I definitely would say it's not just trans women. It's all women. Women get attacked for, you know, the things that men do. You know what I'm saying? We get called hoes. We call sluts. We get called all these type of things. And it's the same attitude that we see from our brothers and our fathers and, you know, the men in our lives and the idea of this hyper-masculine world where femininity is the lesser or the weaker, and if that's not the case at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at strong, powerful women. I think Michelle should have been president. You know, I love Obama, <laughs> but I think Michelle could have got some dish done. You know what I'm saying? We don't talk about how powerful women are in this country or in the world in yeah. general, and we're constantly being attacked for wanting to have that leadership role. You know, it's the idea that women can't lead or, you know, women can't be as powerful, as strong or do the same thing, things that men do. And it's like, that's not the case at all. We're just as strong. We're just as powerful. We can do the same things that you can do, if not better. You know what I'm saying? So it's really important that we do talk about not just trans women being attacked, but all women being attacked. Mm. Because it's really important that people know. If we look, you know, and again, like I said, I was talking to two of the women who were prosecuted for protecting themselves, the New Jersey Four, you know, a group of uh, gay women who were attacked by a man for them being lesbians, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's that's something that is shouldn't even be tolerated in this, you know, in this country or this world. When we look at the rate of uh, rape victims in this country and yes. you know, the, the idea that people don't these colleges in these college settings and these college towns they don't talk about these things and there was actually a poll done and a large majority of the men that took the poll said that they would rape women if they could get away with it mm-hmm. so that says a lot about the way that we look at women and the way that we treat women in this country is you can have the audacity to take a poll and say that you will rape a woman if you had the chance. That says a lot about 
the way that women are treated or the way that women are viewed in this country. And that just needs to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or not I, know the difference between consent and, like, non-consent. I also think of, like, capitalism and patriarchy, right? Anyone yes. that is not uh, a cisgender white person, straight white person, is a threat to misogyny. It's a threat to patriarchy. It's a threat to misogyny. It's a threat to capitalism. So anyone exactly. that dares to be gender non-conforming, which is completely welcomed in other cultures pre-colonization. Mm, um, right. Thinking of, even thinking of consent, yes, I was just thinking of like the larger picture of like one month or one week after there was a trans woman of color killed, there was a cis woman killed just for not responding to a black mm, man, right? So thinking right. of those interconnectedness of those two struggles, as well as even in South Africa, they have corrective rape, y'all. Mm, they have mm, corrective rape mm, for lesbians. So if you are a self-identified lesbian and you get raped and you go to a cop and say, I was raped because I was, I'm a lesbian, guess what they're going to tell you? You deserved it. You deserved it. You need to bend to what we want in this post-colonial, which is still colonization now, world. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, are, <laughs> what are some of the... The projects and work you you've all been doing around your specific struggles, like being black, being a woman, being in poverty, like what are what are some of the projects that certain things that you've been doing recently around that? Do you want to answer it first, Cece? Yeah, because I I just want to rant a little. Go for Go it. Please. Go for please it. Do it. I'm sure you're doing so, the most. Okay, so as a trans woman of color, I just get so offended and frustrated with the idea of the sensitization and the sensationalization of trans women and this idea that things would get better and all these organizations are run by cis gay people yep. who just want to make this idea that oh it'll get better but they don't want to fund us they don't want to hire us they don't want us running our own organizations they don't trust us they still look at us as black people you know what I'm saying like these are the things that have been actually blocking me from actually pursuing projects that will have made some really big change in the world. Mm. But because my proposals weren't good enough or didn't fit the framework for what they wanted, then it wasn't deemed, you know, uh, a good project or, you know, well, we won't fund it this time, but if you apply next year, then maybe we'll consider it. And it's like, well, how clear do y'all want me to be? I'm a trans woman. I want to help trans women. I want to help all people to be specific. I want to end the prison industrial complex. What is so unclear about that? You know what I'm saying? Right. But... At the same token, I'm not letting that discourage me from doing the work that I'm doing. If I got to go and to colleges and let people fake listen to me and snap <laughs> their fingers and fake agreements and to make themselves to coax their ego, you know what I'm saying? But I guarantee you by the end of the night, somebody's going to leave that place rubbed the wrong way because I say things uh, like this and they don't want to hear those uh, things. So it's like, well, put it in your back pocket and sit on it because I really don't care. Your feelings are worth less to me if you're just sitting there and you're snapping your fingers and you're saying, oh, yeah, she's saying some really powerful yes. things. You leave the space and then you go sit in your condo and you look at your big screen and you're watching right? 
Desperate Housewives of Mars. Like, let's <laughs> stop sitting on our asses and really get involved. You know, like I, the the statement I made at Creative Creating Change Conference, people were like, "Yeah, that was some really deep stuff that you said." And it's like, okay, it was deep. Is is that it? You know what I'm saying? Like, what about you doing something? Right. You know, like, yeah. what about you actually not just saying how deep my head is and really, you know, kind of being like, hey, Cece, what can I do? How can I help? You know what I'm saying? Not just to come up to me and be like, yeah, that was something really powerful that you said. And then you go home and not give two fucks about it 15 minutes later. You know what I'm saying? What I do, I'm going to do it regardless. Regardless if I'm... Uh, one too short and and ten fingernails gone. I'm gonna do my job. I'm gonna do it till I die, and I'm gonna keep saying that. But it's like when people are constantly patronizing me and constantly patronizing the work of people of color and patronizing the work of trans women, specifically trans women of color, and y'all just congratulating us and patting us on the back for the work that we do but not helping us do this work, not helping us reach out to the people yes. that need help, then it's null and void. It's really even no need to even come up to me and tell me how good my work is because if I, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm doing it myself and, you know, I know that's not yes. the case, yeah. but when, when I'm constantly, you know, having to combat with the forces of cis white people, cis white gay people in these organizations that just want to tell me how good of a job I'm doing, then you can say that because I know I'm doing a good job because I know that I'm not the only person doing a good job. You know what I'm saying? And that everybody don't have the platform that Laverne and Janet have. You know what I'm yes. saying? Trans women of color who are out here like Chella, that, you know, like um, uh, Chico, uh, uh, Berno, and so many other trans women of color who are doing the work, who don't have that spotlight, who are out there, who are, you know, actually grounds working it and doing what they have to do, just constantly getting a good job or see you next year at the next conference. Like, no, how about y'all actually get off your asses and fund these women, fund them, give them the, the positions that they need in these organizations to make moves, so, you know what I'm saying, to do what they need to do, but basically... Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, my project still consists of prison abolition work, the liberation of trans people, the liberation of trans women of color, the liberation of oppressed groups, the liberation of immigrants, everything, all people that have been oppressed that I see in this country, that I see in this world, I'm still advocating for them and yes. nothing's going to change that. Mm-hmm. Woo! Uh, it's hard to follow that, really, <laughs> just to let you know. But um, what comes to mind, what, what, what CC made me think about was last year I got the chance to go to this conference called the Gift Conference, which was for uh, fundraising for nonprofits. And we were the first trans woman of color convening there. I'm going to let you get your breath, girl, while I get mine. Yeah, and um, there was a murder two days before we had got there. And Ashley Lawrence Hunter, who is another one of my sheroes. Oh, my God. She's amazing. She was like, don't just, you know, come to our memorial and, like, give us a little pat on the back. Support our work. 
you know, support the mission, support these girls that that have to think about where they go, where they're going to pay their light bill, how they're going to pay their cell phone bill, how they're going to do stuff to continue to do the work, right? Unfortunately, we live in a capitalistic society where we are dependent upon money. So we have exactly. to we have to reach out for these people. So what I'm also doing, yeah, so I'm doing a lot of work with Black Lives Matter LA and Los Angeles Community Action Network, which they do a lot of uh, homeless and housing rights for people of Skid Row, downtown Los Angeles, uh, bringing that voice of a trans woman uh, in that space, and also working within the Trans Life Matter movement, bringing that experience of a black person in that space, right? Uh, we actually, me and some folks got together last week and we challenged the cis uh, homosexual patriarchy that's going on in West Hollywood, which is considered to be the LGBT mecca, and we took over the streets, and we stood outside chanting about these women who got their lives lost. We didn't just chant, trans lives matter. We actually read these lives of how they died, how they were, who they were, where they were from, and what race they were. Making it soak in. Yes. Like and then the manager came out. And then the manager of Abby, which is this prestigious... LGBT club came out and was like, what are you guys doing this for? I support the transgender movement. No, you don't. And I was like, look, are you aware that we've lost eight trans women and six of them have been trans women of color? He was like, no, I didn't. But I do so much for the LGBT. I so do so much for the trans movement. I'm like, yeah, how many people do you have on staff? How many trans people exactly. do you have on staff? And how many are them... How many of them are people of color, color. specifically trans women? And he said one out of 50. So I was like, what? (laughs) What? Give me your card if you're so trans friendly. (laughs) Give me your card and I will give your number to like this this organization that does uh, trans friendly organization uh, support. And he gave me his card, but it's still, yeah. So I do a lot of that kind of work. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of advocating for us on the ground, talking to folks that it's really hard to talk to about the trans movement. You know, just Friday, I had a a conversation with folks that could particularly be our uncles and our aunts as black people who are still soaked in their faith, which is okay. I'm not dissing anyone's faith, but I do want to acknowledge that it was a very hard conversation. But guess what? I thought of Cece. I told your story, sister. And I was also telling other people uh, other stories that I know. So thinking of, like, educating folks and being on the ground, doing the work of co- having conversations, uh, even with my neighbors who don't have access to all the gender justice work that I do, all the racial justice work that I do, having conversations with them because they are the most impacted, y'all. Mm-hmm. Word, word. There's so much cultural work y'all are doing. There's so much cultural work that we're doing because we have to. We have to do it to decolonize, to decolonize people out of the frameworks of this imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, ableist, this heteropatriarchy. And if we don't do that, then, like, who are we doing it for, you know? Like, we're doing yes. it not only for ourselves, but for each other, for the liberation of all people, like you were saying, that are oppressed. And, like, another thing about that about that action is it was really frustrating. You know, like, there were 
there were a lot of cis hat or cis gay men in the bar just you know no, when we were chanting you know, our, do you, you care and they're like hat. no you we can don't. say cis hat you can say cis hat there were cis hat you know, in there people, too you know it does mean this controversy of people not liking the word cis hat and it's like well fuck what you feel because Honey, I've been called everything for okay. as long as I've been living, honey. If anything, sis hat is <clears throat> not it is not in any way offensive. It's reality. Like get over yourself. Like how dare you even have the audacity to feel like you want to get mad at somebody calling you a sis hat person? When I had to sit there and let motherfuckers call me a faggot in my face, mm. and you're mad because someone is calling you a sis hat person. Mm. So no, you sis hat. That's what we're going to call them. That's what they are. And that's what it is. Word. So, yes, you were yes. saying about the cis hat. There were cis hat people and cis gay people in the bars when we were, you know, being like, you know, out of your privilege and into the streets. And they were just like, no, we don't. We don't care. We're, you're right. We don't. We just don't. So, like, it, it was it was really hard because, like, we weren't really ready, you know, emotionally for that kind of hatred to actually be so so much at the forefront so open but it's like you know it's it's hard it's hard you know when when going to actions like that because sometimes you know the respectability politics do do play into how you're reacting you know and i don't i don't know about y'all but i want to while out in the streets you know when like when i hear about trans women dying i want i want everyone to know about it like everybody should know about it and it's like, you know, what do we got to do? What do we got to do to get people to know about it? My other question for y'all is, do you think the media and entertainment industries have an accurate depiction of transness and or queerness Ooh. and or blackness? Hell to the no. Oh, my. <laughs> Hell um, to the no. That's my answer. That... Read. Go ahead, Cece. Oh, no. I, yeah, like, first off, um, people of color are more, more more multifaceted than given. Like, we're more than just hip-hop and baggy jeans and dreadlocks <clears throat> and natural hair. Like, we're all, you know, yeah, the media has definitely given depictions of what people of color are, but that's definitely not the case. And we think about the different cultural aspects of black people from black people who have been adopted into white families because we don't need, we don't talk about that we don't talk about the idea that black children from different countries or children of color from different countries are brought up in these households they want to give that opportunity or they have this idea that they're doing the right thing and i feel like it's somewhat a pity thing sometimes with cultures of color Mm. And, you know, I was just talking to someone about this, like, you know, you never really see black parents adopting white children. And why is that? And this idea that being white is correct or white or knowing that these children of color are growing up in the right (gasps) environment and that they will get what they need in life. But at the end of the day, they're still a person of color, no matter how you look at that, no matter how much whiteness you try to instill in them. They're still going to have to go off into the world and they're going to come across a situation that is pertaining to race. And then they're going to be lost on that because white parents don't teach their adopted 
children of color, their true history. You know what I'm saying? They teach them what they want to teach them, and it's and it's and it's unfair to them. Mm-hmm. And not saying that you know I'm against white parents adopting children of color. No, not at all. What I'm saying is. If you're going to take on that road, you have to prepare these children for what is reality. Yes. Them this idea that everything is going to be okay because you have white parents. Mm. No, that's not how life works. I come from a very, very multicultural family. And people would not have, you know, I, you know, have that idea because, you know, I claim black. That's who I am. No matter how much white blood I have in me or Native American blood I have in me, which is still a person of color, but still, no matter how much of that matters, people in society see me as a black person. You know what I'm saying? And that's before all. But once they even know that I'm black and trans, that's when shit gets real. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like media isn't talking about the realities of black people and the black people that come from all type of cultural, you know, bringing up and, you know, the lives that we have and that we experience. And like I was saying, it is magnificent that there are so many trans women that are coming out in Mm -hmm. the media aspects of life. You know, you got Laverne, and I love her to pieces. You have Janet, and I love her to pieces. You have Carmen Carrera. I never met her, but I love her to pieces for for being trans and being open about that. And so many other trans women, and you know, that are around us. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that have come before us, and that, you know, that have set a platform but what what about all the trans women in the background who grow up in the ghettos and or the trans women who who have privilege who come from you know families worth the millions or what about you know the trans women uh that have been murdered what were their lives like what yeah. what people don't understand we have every day you know every day lives like they do you know what i'm saying and that goes with the dehumanization of us they don't want to see us as people who like to get up cook bacon or eggs or tofu sausage whatever you prefer and you know be this person that has to get on the bus to go downtown to go to social security or to go to the dmv or to meet up with friends for lunch at the say it's like we have normal lives you know what i'm saying and i and people don't want to understand that and i was talking to one of my friends she's a security officer at o'hare airport Mm -hmm. and you know i met her one day going to go speak at a college and she just yelled my name out and i didn't know who she was and we literally sat there and talked i had a couple of hours for a layover Mm -hmm. and you know we were talking about you know how people dehumanize us and she had made a quote like we're people like we don't sleep upside down in caves <laughs> we are people and i'm like you know what that is so true like i feel like people don't think that we even sleep or that like like we wake up and we stick ports in us and we download information from our ipods or something like no we huh? we are humans and we do human things and it's nothing that no one can take away from that, but they do on a day-to-day basis. And so I'm constantly having to deal with other people's unacknowledgement of me or their 
unawareness. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not my fault, and I have to constantly tell this to myself, it's not my fault that media depicts me as a crack-smoking prostitute in, in the alley. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what people would think of me when they see me. Even with the role that Laverne is doing, it's still a role of a trans woman in prison. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which is also the reality mm-hmm. of what we face, but it's not <clears throat> the realities of trans women mm-hmm. outside of us being locked up you know what i'm saying and it's just talking about there's nothing that's talking about why trans women are in prison or mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like orange is the new black doesn't talk about why people are in prison we just know that they are in prison you know what i'm saying but why why are people <coughs> being targeted outside of the fantasization of being in prison and doing here and you know having rendezvous and like no that's you know people still doesn't understand how much of that has been fantasized mm-hmm. and you know it's it's not the realities of you know that that's a one is is set in a minimum security prison which nine times out of ten if you're in a minimum security that means that you know you're a person who committed something really petty which somebody shouldn't be you know, persecuted for it anyways, mm-hmm. or in prison for it. So, yeah. But let's talk about the people who are in maximum security prisons who literally sit in their rooms for 23 hours a day and have to choose if they want to, you know, shower or read a book or do whatever they have to do with the one hour that they're out of their mm-hmm. room. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what about those people? You can have no story plot around that now, could you? Mm-hmm. You would literally have a camera on a person in their room for 23 hours a day. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the the things that people don't understand about prison or about being black or about capitalism, it's because, like, our, people's brains have been colonized for so long. And, you know, like, I hate to, you know, to, you know, keep going off to the left plane, but, you know, to decolonize our minds is willingness to let go of all the shit that we have learned in our lives and mm-hmm. the shit that has been taught to us. It's mm-hmm. to really understand what it's like to let go of that shit and be like, you know what, that's falsehood. I'm not going to live in that. I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to go with my heart says. I'm going to go with what I feel is right instead of saying, oh, you know what, the Bible told me this. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or my mom said it's wrong to you know, do this, you know what I'm saying? Because all of that, all of that has been taught to us, you know what I'm saying? And that's what we're constantly teaching our youth through Mm -hmm. what they see on TV. And it's like, we need to have more people in media that is talking about, why aren't there any reality shows about uh, decolonization? (laughs) Right. Industrial complex or, you know, capitalism or sexism or, talking to people who have day-to-day lives and have faced, you know, these adversities and, you know, not who got the newest Chanel bag or how many houses did I get into foreclosure or, you know what I'm saying? Because Mm -hmm. none of that is important to a 14- and 15-year-old who is questioning their gender, dealing with race, fucked up in school or is trying really hard because we don't talk about how this academia is also brainwashing people because mm. we're still colonizing brains and getting people to believe that the, this history is the right history or like, no, honey, they, they're giving you a chip or something and about 85% of that is incorrect. Yes. So how much responsibility does the media have 
I would say almost all of it because mm. people are constantly dealing with the media, whether you're on your phone, whether you're in your car, whether you're walking down the street, everywhere you turn, there's going to be a billboard, there's going to be an ad, there's going to be a pop-up video, there's going to be someone liking your page or sending you a video or tagging you in a post. But how much of that is telling us or giving other people real education or networking with someone that's trying to get a new organization off the ground actually going to do something and not just have a bunch of pretty people sitting in their offices click clacking at their boards thinking that they're doing the most and you're doing little you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying we're constantly <clears throat> being separated we're constantly being segregated we're constantly being put apart and marginalized and having to deal with how can i step outside of this box how can I go beyond myself? How can I connect with that person over there who probably doesn't have anything in common with me, but we can both have something to do with the end of oppression and oppressive regimes? And how do we change the ideas of race or sexuality or sexual orientation or gender or how much have religious extremism affected my life in the ways that were never for good, that was Mm -hmm. only for evil. You know, the idea of Islamophobia in this world is so sickening because we Mm -hmm. never want to talk about the religious extremism in Christianity or Mm -hmm. all these other religions that have also played a part (coughs) in countless wars you know, countless deaths of people that have ruined lives, ruined families, ruined relationships. Like, we don't talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess it's all okay because, you know, a commercial just came on from, from Taco Bell saying I can get 10 tacos for 69 cents. Mm-hmm. So that's wow. what I'm happy. You know, so, mm-hmm. hey, you know, like, that'll take my mind off of what's really going on in the world. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We need to really think about what and how the media affects us. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad that I'm in places that don't really have TV, and I can't even tell the person the last time I watched TV. Because it's like, it's not really giving me what I need anymore. I need something that's going to have some substance. It's pretty bad. It's like, there's nothing that is connected to, to what I want to do in life. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, and all of these things are still, you know, a part of the capital capitalist capitalistic oppressive regime. Mm-hmm. The, you know, making money off of people's sorrows and pains and depression and, you know, happiness. It's like it just it overwhelms you and it takes control of you. And people don't know that a lot of times, but it does. I feel like this goes into the next question regarding representations and how we how we can actually create our own representations what do you think we would need to do to craft their own representations particularly black women and how do we not feed into our own exploitation and commodification of our trans identities i guess i guess chella you can uh, do okay on that. yeah yeah you definitely know. i think i do a lot of like selfies and videos and like whatever I go to a protest or a rally or a march or I do a stream or like update stuff like I'm like hey y'all this is Chella 
I'm keeping it real. And I use hashtags, right? Because everything is a hashtag these days right now. Uh, So, yeah, I get my word out. I get my story out there. Because who's going to tell my story better than me, right? Mm -hmm. I have all these other intersectionalities I live with, right? Like, I'm a fat woman. I'm a fat black trans woman that lives in Skid Row. Mm-hmm. So, like, someone like Laverne Cox is not going to play me. That's just mm-hmm. not going to... Though I, I do love her to pieces, and I'm like, damn, she's amazing. She's not going to do my story the way I would do it, right? Who's going to tell my story better than me? Um, so I do that. I do a lot of other kinds of media, liking other people's videos or pictures and hashtagging them, really, like getting their stories out as well, right? Because it's not just about me, because when I'm free, we're all free, right? And so thinking of like the interconnectedness of how our stories should be, as well as thinking of really just holding in on really deep issues that I struggle with, like depression, or like going home tonight from this amazing interview and seeing one of my trans sisters get high on speed, right? Which is like real, it's the reality that she's in, right? And I love her no more, no less because of who she is, right? So thinking of those things, being real, being, being honest about where I'm at, as well as like telling my own story and giving myself my voice, you know, because nobody's going to take that away from me. There you mm. go. Now go ahead and take it away, Cece. <laughs> I feel like what you're saying <coughs> is definitely true. I know that I've garnered a lot of uh, media attention, but not as much as Jana or Laverne, but I definitely have been given this platform. You know, I feel the same way. Like, there is definitely no one that can tell my story better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I try to share that with people in my own words, no matter how many interviews I do, you know, no matter how much I share my experience with, you know, reporters who write it down or they transcript it and, you know, but I feel like there will be no one that can actually give you Cece better than Cece, and Mm -hmm. you know I I stay true to who I am and I try to bring a lot of encouragement to other trans women and let them know that it's not all about our bodies or how we transition and a lot of people don't want to talk about transitioning in the trans community and the idea of trans misogyny or in misogyny yes. and, how and transitioning and feeling like you have to have the five zero waist and the 40 hips and the big tits and the long flowy hair and like you're going to transition how you how you need to for yourself and a lot of times, a lot of people transition for other people, or they get lost in this idea. That's why I try to stay away from the ball scene because it's like the influence that is there is is still a form of you know sexism and you know playing into the ideas of what's passable in society, mm. and that type of idea permeates through you know, outside of the ball scene because people actually live with that. And mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, live their lives according to their tens on the board. And it's like, you know, you can't go through life 
you know, thinking or giving this idea to other trans people that you will never amount to any great score in life because you're not passable enough or you don't have, you know, the right body parts that you need to have, you know. So I stayed away from the bossing because of that. You know, I had to do my own transitioning and figure out who I was as a human, outside of being black, outside of being trans, outside of being, you know, Cece, I had to think about me as a human. How How is my spiritual wellness? How is my mental wellness? How is my love meter? How much of a bitch do I want to be today or am I going to be today? You know, like these things are really important outside of the the vain type of stereotypical way for a lot of people. So I try to stay true so I can give that to people. I don't want to off as unauthentic. So, you know, I ground myself and I keep, you know, who I am, the things that I learn, the, you know, the feelings that I have and, you know, I make mental notes of that and, you know, I try to give that to other trans women so that they can see that there's nothing wrong with being a multifaceted creature. You know, there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out what your transness is and mm. not feeling that your transness has to be just as the next person's because that's what they told you. And I had a lot of people, you know, tell me things like that, like, you know, you should do this, you should do that, girls don't do this, you know, girls don't do that, and, like, I kind of internalize that, and, like, I'm constantly trying to grow out of, you know, grow out of those old ideas about who I am, who I am as a woman, who I am as a black woman, who I am as a black trans woman, mm-hmm. and giving that type of, you know, idea to other trans women, you know, and you know, empower them and not so much have them live in this idea or the ideas of patriarchy and misogyny and transmisogyny and sexism and, you know, just to break free of those so that they can explore who they are and, you know, encourage them to do what it is that they desire. You know, a lot of trans women won't, you know, take up, you know, um, sports, you know what I'm saying? Because of the idea that women don't play sports. But we look at the Olympics and all of the women, a lot of them women of color who have won gold medals and it's like this idea that women can't play sports or women can't be construction workers or women can't be, you know, uh, whatever it is that they choose to be, bodybuilders or whatever, like do not you know, little yourself or Mm -hmm. settle because of the things that people have taught you. It's all right to explore and figure out who you are as a person. There's nothing wrong with being a woman and wanting to be a bodybuilder. There's nothing wrong with being a woman and wanting to be a basketball player or the ideas or the fears of, you know, who you were pre-transitioning and trying to compare that in your life as a woman and having the fears of that, that which you are interested in is still connected to your pre-transitioning. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people feel like that, uh, you know, 
being a DJ or whatever you were doing before you started transitioning, you know, what keep you from being the complete and total woman that you are. And I feel like it's the exact opposite. It will make you the complete and whole person that you need to be by continuing mm-hmm. to do the things that you love and not, you know, falling into those ideas that are oppressive to you spiritually and mentally is really important. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, word. I was having a conversation with uh, Tika, who does the uh, Black Girl Show the other day, and she was like, you know what? The the best thing that us uh, as black women can do is to just say no sometimes. Just say like, fuck it. Just no. I don't want to... I don't want to go to this event that you're inviting me to. I don't want to do this like last minute thing that you need me to, you know, the, some of, some of the things that we need to start doing is just like understanding that we have autonomy and we have the right to say no. And we have the right to self-determination, to gender self-determination. We, we can explore explore the no you know doing doing what we want to do because like everything that's around us whether it be work or whether it be an identity that has been constructed for us you know that is oppressed it's always coercing us and compelling us to do things that we don't want to do so i thought that was really good um really good advice i was like yes i do i should say no more often even though i do i say no a lot but um, <laughs> but um, so um, we're all going to the Insights Color Violence Conference. Um, it's in Chicago next month. Can't wait. Uh, what are what are y'all really looking forward to, and what are you hoping to gain from attending this conference? I'll go first. Um, I'll okay. go first. I want to see CC again. <laughs> Hashtag. I know, I'm really excited about that too. <laughs> Um, um I'm really looking forward to connecting with so many powerful people of color, so many beautiful, strong people like that I have been corresponding with and just being there, bringing a lot of love and positive energy, bringing a lot of, you know, insight, which is what it is, you know, like mm-hmm. bringing a lot of my experience trying to build, you know, relationship with people and build love and connection and understanding and, you know, how to be better people for each other in this movement. How mm-hmm. how do we love each other? How do we help each other? How do we give each other the stuff that we need to push forward? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's really going to be something, you know, monumental for me to be around a lot of my friends and colleagues and, you know, everybody that I know that um, have done some type of activism, some type of, you know, work with organizations, um, Mm -hmm. just really connecting with people, you know, I'm going to be so, you know, humbled by that and, you know, just being able to be around, have fun, you know, yeah. be ourselves, you know, just be, you know, the best people that we can be and just learn from each other, grow from each other, Word. give each other, you know, 
good love and energy. It's, it's, it, it'll be like a, a, a big family reunion. Mm, okay. <laughs> right. There's a lot of people from L.A. that are going out there that we know. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to, to go in there uh, where knowledge is being produced to like love that knowledge and to like take that knowledge back with us, you know, back back to LA or back where everybody's going, you know, and mm-hmm. just just hanging out with people, getting to know people, but also like there's a lot of I mean the the fascinating thing about insight is it it's always been it's always been really really on point with its analysis. It's always been really on point with with um attacking and uh, attempting to dismantle systems and structures of oppression, not giving way and into the nonprofit industrial complex and how that ropes people into activist work, but doesn't really do anything, just kind of puts band-aids on, on, you know, particular system, interlocking systems of domination that continue to oppress people. So like, I'm really, really excited to have those, those conversations with people who, are very like minded, you know, and and you know, I'm I'm going with um the crew Los Angeles queer resistance. Uh we're doing like this consent um consenting culture workshop and uh just to talk up like expand that conversation of consent out of the bedroom cuz a lot of the conversations on college campuses are always about like yes is a yes and no is a no, but like it's what we're trying to low key do is have people question and, and analyze like well you don't really have you didn't really consent to the police having so much authority over your body did you you didn't consent yeah. to you know this bottle of shampoo being like seven dollars or this milk being five dollars you didn't consent to any of that you didn't consent to any of these constructs that actually exist so you yeah. have every right to question those things and Exactly. Word, you know, I'm just really, really excited to to plug in to like, you know, do the the knowledge building and the the healing with each other because I find that conversations with other trans women of color, gender nonconforming people, it's really, really actually healing. Like this work that we're doing is it takes a lot out of us, but it's also extremely, extremely healing work. Um, and I just want to thank y'all yes. for for that because it's like we you know there it's like as alienated and isolated as we are because for being you know gender nonconforming or trans um, and black it's also it's also like there's so many people that low key you know they they want to be the title you know it's like you have. I I just think you know trans trans women particularly are some of the most hardworking of peoples because like you know I always bring this up how James Baldwin says that black men in this country have a double consciousness what about black black women what about black queer women what about black queer trans women it's like you know I feel like that consciousness rises and doubles and quadruples uh, when you have people who are often uh, within the margins of marginalization and um yeah you you have you you have us you have some of us like you know on doing the work always always doing this work and not stopping because our lives depend on it my life 
as a black gender non-conforming person depends on my liberation, you know, right now. Um, exactly. And I guess, real. yeah, I guess I wanted to further along the conversation of like your experiences of, of anti-black racism or anti-blackness, um, because this is a kind of new conversation that's, that's happening regarding um, Black Lives Matter, um, regarding people actually globally discussing global a- anti-blackness. Cause like, you know, my mom's from the Philippines and I would often hear her talk about, I would ask her like, so what are, what do people think about, about black people in the Philippines? And my mom would like shake her head and be like, oh, they didn't really like them. And I'm like, damn, but it really is global. And that was, that was not too long ago. And it is a global, global issue. So I just wanted to get what are some of your experiences with with anti-blackness, both within the day-to-day microaggressions and then institutionally, like when it comes to the schools you go to, the work that you're doing, hospitals. Um, and then do you think being as feminine as you are or your femininity, does that inform your experience of anti-black racism? I'm going to go first. Okay, because <laughs> I know, Cece, you go, go, you go. Okay, so I was watching TV like a few weeks ago. This commercial came up that was like Asian. It was for Asian dating, dating an Asian woman, right? And the person they had next to her was a white man, right? It's uh, Ashley Lawrence Hunter says the proximity to whiteness, right? While as people of color, we all have our different struggles they are still not black, right? Mm. Uh, I have a friend who said this, uh, that Asian API community and folks that are not black uh, struggle or they deal with the illusion that they are not oppressed, that they are oppressed because they're not black. So thinking of like that systematic uh, wording that like when you're free, I'm free. When black people are liberated, we're all liberated, right? As a mixed person of color, I am Cuban, black, Afro-Latina, indigenous, right? Uh, Thinking of, like, indigenous migrant folks who are being pushed out of, like, Central America because of being black, right? Uh, And so on a different scale, right? Thinking of the bleaching or the whitening of Beyonce's mm. skin tone, mm, right? Beyonce, right? I I love her you to pieces. I love her to pieces. <laughs> do not when y'all see me on the street. Do not say that I said I don't like Beyonce because I do. <laughs> However, to appeal to a wider audience, mm. they have lightened her skin in like photoshopping, right? Thinking yeah. of, uh, in the organizing realm, too, thinking of just this a uh, few weeks ago by a co-worker, they come in and they tell me, you know what, Chella? You're going to be my slave. Mm-mm, no, no. I was like, you need to get your right privilege Wait, check they, before I knock you out. they were white? Yeah. They were white. Okay. <clears throat> What happened so, after you harmed them? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's my place of work. Okay. So I was like, you know, you need to get your ch- privilege checked. Wow. Uh, wow. Right. 
thinking of also in like other spaces such as there's a group that meets at the LGBT center when a Trayvon Martin situation was going on. We were talking about blackness and there was this one trans white masculine guy that was like, why is it that when I say the N word, people give me a horrible look. But when black people say, oh, Asians are driving bad, people give them, uh, like, it's okay. I'm like, no, I don't know what areas Whoa. you're in. I don't know where you're from. Skin Row specifically is 80% black boo-boo. Uh, you and a black person could walk into the store and guess who would get looked at more? The black person, no matter how a suit and tie has on. Uh, one more, one more point. Last, uh, I heard the story of this college professor that locked himself out of his uh apartment, and he had to like climb in the window to like try to get his own apartment. He was like, he had all these accumulated like. He was a, 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 an awesome professor. He was high class. He was, like, bougie. And they still called the cops on him and arrested him. Mm. Because he was, can we guess? <laughs> Black. <laughs> so, thinking of anti-Blackness, right? Thinking of, like, our struggles. I love Indiari, uh, an India song, where she's talking about slavery, right? I love the fact that she's challenging, that her and Janelle Monet are challenging perceptions of what a black queen or a black person is supposed to be, right? Uh, as well as, one more, uh, thinking of the interconnectedness of, like, every 28 hours, a black male is harmed by uh, police, vigilantes, or security guards. While every 32 hours, a trans woman, mm. predominantly a trans woman of color, Say is that. murdered, not just in the U.S. In Brazil, where it's predominantly black, hello, indigenous Africans are in Brazil, they are murdering them at a high rate. So think of the anti-blackness, not just as a US, in the U.S. context, not just in the yeah. media context, but it feeds into each other. It feeds into, like I said earlier, if you're not white, cisgender, straight, you're a, you're a threat to capitalism. You're a threat to patriarchy. You're a threat to the nuclear family. Thank you. This has been Chella. Keep it real. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I don't have a... Um, yeah, come back from that. Well, like, basically, you know, anti-blackness is definitely just a, a, a thing that's related to people who are white. And that's the idea that other, like, we, we think about anti-blackness within the own uh, people of color spectrum, you know, like I, mm -hmm. like you were saying, like darkness, mm -hmm. you know, there are in every culture, there are people who are brown skin and dark skin, but there's always the separation of them from those cultural differences. There are black people in Asia. There mm -hmm. are black people in Australia. There are black people in, you know, Africa outside of, you know, the colonization of Caucasianism there. Um, is there is a lot of cultures in, in most of those cultures, there is some form or some way, um, you know, some term of anti-blackness. And, you know, this idea that, oh, uh, 
could be, you know, all people can be racist or, you know, black people are racist to white people. And it's like, how does that logic even exist? Right. For you to even have that idea is kind of, you know, audacious and really kind of mind-boggling to me because it's like there's no way that you can say with the history of, you know, black people and white people, or not just white people, but black people with all, um, in all cultures. If we think about the um, the riots in, uh, I believe it was Compton, where the black girl, uh, after the Rodney King beating and things like that, and mm-hmm. things got a ride there, there was one black girl that got shot by an Asian store owner, mm. and that that so that story rarely gets talked about, but it was something that was really pivotal at that time. Um, an Asian man killing a young black girl um, because he was threatened or felt threatened by her. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the girl was like 12, I believe. Um, I'm going to go refresh myself on that story, but I know that it happened um, during the big riots that had happened and uh, content and mm-hmm. knowing that being black is first, firstly being black is a threat regardless. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you're cis or trans or queer or gender nonconforming. If you have a skin tone that's about peanut butter or darker, <laughs> you are you are constantly gonna be looked at as a threat. You're gonna be looked at as the enemy, you're going to be looked at as, you know, harmful or, you know, disposable. Mm. And that's what all cultures, but it's easy for people to adapt black <coughs> cultures from hip hop to, you know, wearing the, the, the um, sagging pants and you look at all these people in, you know, Hollywood who have adapted to black culture because that's black culture. I remember when sagging your pants and, you know, talking black was quote unquote, I wish I could have seen that, um, was deemed, you know, uh, uncouth or, you know, something that was not looked up to, but people have adapted to black culture all over, and then they want to take credit for that as a myth. You know, like, I remember somebody was talking about the white hipster movement, and like, no, honey, you just adapted that from black culture. There was once upon a time where people will look at the way that we dress or the way that we talk as ignorant or, you know, non-likable from however many ideas that came from that but it was all negative and we look at the way that black culture has been adapted into our music into our wear into our everyday lives you know from the from the inventors from you know our ancestors who created everything from the street lights to peanut butter uh, up until now with the Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber who feel like it's, it'll make me extra cool or I can sell some more albums if I if I dress like this or if I talk like this and I just say I'm being real. No, honey, you're trying to be black and it's very obvious that you're being black because when you were Hannah Montana, you were trying to, okay. you know, you were trying to uh, attract a certain audience. Mm. But now that, you know, being black equals equates to being cool, everybody kind of took that on. So being black 
is the new orange or being black is the new trans. Mm-hmm. And I feel that same way about being trans. It seemed like yeah. once Laverne had her, you know, her uh, her big spot in Orange is the New Black and Janet Mont came out, then being trans was the new trans. I'm like, I'm really glad that people, you know, I'm not turning down no coins. But mm. what I'm saying is, I feel that it's real interesting that now y'all care about my issues. Yeah. Why, why is it now that you care that trans women have been, you know, are have been and still are being murdered? Why do you care now? Like this, this shit hasn't just started happening now that you wanted to be aware about it or that now it's in your face. No, this shit has been going on, and for you to act like now, now that you claim that you care that oh if I get someone to uh, you know that's trans to come talk at my school or sit on this panel I'll look like I'm being all inclusive mm-hmm. like no I'm not I'm not your pity party I'm not a trend because I didn't just decide that I'm going to be trans because you know, I want to take my chances of being murdered just because somebody think it's cool. No, I'm trans because this is who I am. And now that you just finally realize that it's your fault, that's not my fault. You know what I'm saying? Or the fact that I'm black and that I can still face the same issues of a black cis man walking outside, you know, and being harassed by the police. And it has happened numerous of times. Me standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus to go to school mm-hmm. and being accused of being a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have to understand anti-blackness is an intersection of everything that's oppressed or downlooked in this country and in this world and also anti-blackness is it's somewhat internalized from the things that i hear people talk about um to each other within the community of color you know um one thing for instance you know that really annoyed me was the down talk of black people by other black people for uh, the destruction of these capitalistic um, buildings, you know, such as a Walmart or something like, you care more about a Walmart being vandalized than a young boy being killed by the police. And if that's what you're really concerned about, you should, you really need to go reevaluate okay. yourself because shit like Walmart being vandalized, a uh, billion a uh, billion dollar industry a year that gives two fucks about it. If you're going to live or die and you're worried about a black person vandalizing a billion dollar industry building, then mm. a black boy being killed. Yep. Anti-blackness. Yeah. So it's like these things need to be talked about. Anti-blackness isn't just a white thing. Anti-blackness is an everybody thing. And it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed, especially in our community, the community of color, the communities of color, because it's really hard to deal with, you know, a lot of people who want to throw in the, you know, Oh, I'm Afro-Caribbean, but you're pale-skinned and you have blue eyes. So you need to make these things clear to other people because if you don't tell them, you're constantly getting by with your white privilege, regardless if you want to admit that or not. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you can't walk around and be like, oh, I'm Afro-Caribbean, I'm a person of color, and you're not saying that in certain instances. You want to use that when you feel like you'll get a couple of likes or somebody might – 
you know, fantasize of, ooh, Afro, you know, a little white-skinned Afro-Caribbean person. You know what I'm saying? Like, those things are appealing. But what about the people with the brown skins and the dark skins that are also Afro-Caribbean and still get treated like the black person, like the nigger? You know what I'm saying? So we need to talk about these things. We can't just you know, be like, oh, it's just a white person thing or, you know, a cop kills, a white cop kills black kid because there are a lot of things. Black bodies are in danger. And it's not just from white people. We need to understand this is uh, uh, across the globe thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's not just, you know, reliant upon white people because it comes from everybody, including our own community. Mm-hmm. Word, word. I guess I wanted to touch up on what Chella had said earlier regarding and kind of what you're talking about, Cece, in terms of um a lot of a lot of people a lot of white people that is, um, talking about anti white racism, you know, the person that Chella was talking about is probably somebody that believes that anti-white racism exists when it's like, no, no, that, like, anti-white racism... I mean, there are prejudices, but the difference between your whiteness and my blackness is your whiteness has achieved some sort of historically sustained, institutionalized nation. Like, it's been institutionalized. Like, that is the difference between my struggle and, like, your whatever it is. Like, it's it's not a struggle. It's just... All it is really is appropriation. Like this is it's extremely upsetting when like you were saying that like everybody wants to assume, you know, like black culture and assume that role and like take it on and wear it as a coat when it's like we can't take off our skin and we can't, exactly. you know, we can't be different people. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, you want to be you want to be black, but you actually don't really want to get treated black. <laughs> it's the exactly. thing. You're not going to be treated and followed around in a, in a store when you're shopping for clothes or be harassed by the police. I'm just like, we have got a lot of work to do because, because within this country, within other countries, like there are, there are different United Nations summits happening, like different, like meetings that are happening and they're talking about how effective queer and trans liberation and black liberation politics are being in terms of social media and the autonomous media that we're putting out there. It's getting scary because I feel like fascism is on the rise and like people are, you know, people getting arrested for absolutely nothing. There's more and more people being put into the prison industrial complex, people who have fought for our our rights in the, in the civil rights era are still in prison because of their work that they were doing. And they're doing all they can. They're doing all that within every all these movies that are coming out, all of them mostly funded by Oprah, like with Selma and with The Butler and with Dear White People. It's like, these movies do the same thing over and over again where they criminalize or demonize black militancy. And that is for a reason so that people don't do it. So don't people don't like actually resist the growing fascism that is happening in this country. The, the prison right. industrial complex, military industrial complex, all working in sync with each other to oppress us. Exactly. I feel like it's a, it's a well-oiled machine and it takes people like us, people 
who are going to this inside conference to actually really talk about and strategize and get the ball going because like time is running out um i just wanted to ask one last question to you all in terms of but uh are you all okay with the term ally um what does allyship really look like to you all um i guess i would like to say that i hear the word ally a lot and i just i'm like "Mm, i don't i'm tired of it by this time like i've heard it people always are self-proclaimed allies i'm tired of this you proclaiming that you're my ally it's like no you ain't you haven't i haven't seen you do anything i haven't you haven't done things that are going to label you as an ally people think people actually believe that the a in lgbtqia stood for ally when it actually stands for aromantic asexual so like they're giving they're literally giving themselves an identity as though they deserve an identity for themselves and it's like no like we yeah and there's an entire ally industrial complex now where people are going to seminars being taught by tim wise about their white privilege when it's like no he didn't create this actual analysis he stole that analysis from black queer and trans women who are who actually live that struggle who actually live that real real time real life so it's like when i i don't think i don't even think of yeah somebody like tim wise as an ally because it's like you're just you're just making money off and profiting off of our struggle you know you're you're if you're gonna make a movie about a trans woman and it ain't a trans it's just a it's a cis woman or it's a it's like a het you know cis het man like that is not giving credit to our struggle you're actually using our struggle to profit from so it's like i'm at a point where i i'm like bump some ally ally thing but like what are you all <laughs> thinking someone said to me i don't prefer the term ally i prefer the term co-conspirator uh thinking of like allyship Mm. in the olden days was like germany had an allyship with i don't know uh (laughs) austria right and now they don't even like each other right like so when they're done with each other they're like okay fuck you whereas like someone else coming alongside of us who i i do agree that that uh that allyship is not identity uh, that somebody comes up and like starts to either uh, take all the same dangers as we would for us. You know what I mean? Like if we're in a trans rally and there's somebody who uh, is doing some allyship, you know, allyship things as a co-conspirator, they would take all the bloodness of what's going to happen to a trans person because mm-hmm. they know that trans people are on the bottom of the bottom. So, thinking of ways to educate folks who do want to use that term as, like, a way to uh, identify themselves. I hate it, because it's not on us. It should be on other people who are co-conspirators. But it's also part of the movement work that we got to do sometimes. Like, LA Can, where I work, is predominantly folks of color. There's only two white, actually three white people in an agency of, like, 30, right? So thinking of the fact that they are down, well, half of them, are down 
uh, are as down to get arrested when Black Lives when Black Lives are under attack. They do fight back. Mm. The end. <laughs> um, yeah, um, allyship is 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 pretty much what I was saying earlier. Like that word pretty much means less to me than like you know finding out goose feathers are a good source of protein. I it's like I really don't care. Okay. <laughs> like. <laughs> It, there is nothing at this point that has shown me what true allyship has been as in the sense that what I was saying earlier, trans women of color still are being funded for the work that they do. Trans women of color aren't being hired. Trans women in uh, gender nonconforming and queer uh, women or, you know, people are constantly being, you know, sensationalized. Our stories, our struggles, our and love. Killed, our and friends. killed every 32 and, hours. And it's, and it's not really giving, it's there, and nothing happened. There haven't been any results, you know. Look at, like, you know, Chola was saying, look at these organizations. You have 50 people in a, in a setting and, and one person of color. You mm. know what I'm saying? Like, there is no room for us to grow, to actually believe in allyship from what people have given us. So it's like I'm just just trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. That's what I'm going to call them, benefit of the doubters, because <laughs> I can't give you allyship. I can't, I can't believe that you won't leave this space and actually – do or you know mean what you say you know what i'm saying i mm. see the work that a lot of people of color do you know what i'm saying but a lot of the white people that have come up to me like i'm going to do this i'm going to do this like they you know they're flaky it's it's they're i don't understand not even just with you know just on the terms of race, but also with gender. Like, a lot of cis people have, especially cis head people, who have wanted to jump on the trans allyship bandwagon mm -hmm. and have fallen so short on that. Yes. And, like, are still allowing the sexism and the trans misogyny and the misogyny to run rampant in their settings, around their straight friends, around the people who don't understand or are unaware of transgender nonconforming and queer people mm -hmm. and you know just you know I just give them the shifty eye now and it's like you know I'm glad that you know what the word ally means but <laughs> it means shit if, you, if you're not living up to what that what the definition of an ally mm -hmm. is and you know like I was just and like you were saying like there have been plenty of countries that were allies and are in wars now. So I would just rather not use that word. I would like to just believe that a person would just do what the fuck they say they're going to do, like mm -hmm. I do. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I don't want you to tell me that you that you believe in the cause, that you're going to do what you're going to do to help the cause, and then you don't do shit and the trans women are still left out in the playing field by themselves. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And allyship is significant to <sighs> progressiveness 
in progressiveness and the liberation movement because allyship that comes from other people um, can make an impact on what and how other people see us. You know what I'm saying? If we look at Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres, Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is one of the richest gay people in the media alone. Mm-hmm. She rarely talks about situations that happen in the LGBTQI community, let alone her giving two shits about a trans person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we we look at that and we and and it and it gives people this idea that, oh, you know, she's appealing to the the cishet marketing scheme and that's fine that's okay but don't don't call yourself an ally and then say i'm here for the work or i'm here to help people of the lgbtqi community and you don't talk about the issues around black people or the Mm -hmm. issues around you know lgbtqia specifically trans queer and not conforming people it's like mm-hmm. what there's a thin line between allyship and uh, being phony as fuck you know what i'm saying yeah. like it's is it's really thin and it's really frustrating to have to deal with people on a day-to-day basis you know talking with people and you know hearing them talk about how <clears throat> magnificent it would be if we could all walk down the street hand in hand, cool by yaying. And but you're not doing you're not playing the part in that. You're just giving ideas, you're just speaking about it. And, you know, okay, you talk about it and you put that energy in the universe. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my grandma always told me it's not just gonna fall in your lap. You know what I'm saying? So if you want it, you gotta go get it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So to be an ally is is more than just what comes out of your mouth and what what would get you a couple of likes on Facebook or what would, you know, get somebody to, you know, snap their fingers at what you say. Fightship mm. uh, is about putting in the work that the people that you are claiming to be, you know, fighting for, mm-hmm. that you're there in the forefront with the people who are on the forefront fighting for those causes is, is more than just, Oh, it will, it look, it looks good if I say it on paper, but I'm not about that life in action. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm done with that, that idea. I just give people the benefit of the doubt. I just mm-hmm. will believe that what they say that they would do, but I'm not going to get my hopes up, but I just know that I won't stop doing it. You know yep. what I'm saying? I'm not yeah. going to, you know, leave it up to you that I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to put all my eggs in my bags and be like, Ooh, that person said they was going to do that. Now I guess I can, you know, wash my hands of it. No, I'm going to continue to do it regardless. You know what I'm saying? And it just goes to show who, who is truly about that life when they mm. talk about it and are actually doing the work. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, let's change the language up. It's like, we, ha- we have a few, we have a few new terms, the uh, benefit of the doubters <laughs> and uh, co-conspirators. I like the one, I like accomplices too, that kind, kind of like, um, but. <laughs> that, that's, that's along the lines of acquaintance and, <laughs> and uh, that's like, 
you know, it's, <clears throat> it's like allyship is something that you will want from like your closest friend, like your, you know, your, your ROD, you know, <laughs> I don't know, like uh, allyship is more than for me is like a spiritual friendship and that mm. I know that you're going to struggle when I struggle because you're for the same causes that I'm for and not just saying you're about them causes, but I know for a fact that you're a person, you know, that I can count on when it comes to, you know, progressive liberation movements and things like that, because you're showing me this. You're not just standing on Facebook or Twitter, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, tagging me in a post because you think it's a sad story. Like, I can do that all day, but, you know, there are people who have been arrested, who have been killed, who have lost their homes, that have lost their finances, all for the sake of activism. And, like, when are we going to be on that level together? Mm. When are we willing to just risk it all? And there are some of us that are willing to risk it all because, shit, hell, there's nothing to lose, really. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But for some people, allyship affects their money. Allyship affects their housing. Allyship affects their their relationships with their families and their friends. So they do it to a minimum. So it sounds good when you talk about it, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. You don't want it to affect your personal life. Oh, okay, I get it. When my per- when my personal life is being affected twenty four seven, regardless if I was an activist or not. Mm-hmm. But you're worried about. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's like you have to really think about where you are with people in general and in life, and knowing real from fake, and knowing when you have someone that has solid ideas and the same motivation, the same type of, you know, urgency and, you know, resiliency and tenacity when it comes to the progressive movements and liberation movements. That's Mm -hmm. what's important. Allyship is more than just have you know tokenizing black people and having one or or a couple of friends of color. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's more than just that. It's it's about really caring about the issues that people of color face or the people uh, gender nonconforming, trans and queer people face. You know what I'm saying? Or immigrants or people. You know what I'm saying? You don't do it because it looks good. Don't do it because you want people to think you're a good person. Don't do it because, you know, you need some self uh, gratification or you need something that's going to make you feel like you've done your duty in life. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's, it's It goes deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And allyship is more about, you know, that and the connections that you have with people. How much do you really care about my issues? If I sit down here with you and tell you my deepest, darkest secrets, don't just fantasize about that and tell me how fucked up it is. I want you to help me fix these things. I want you to help me to change these things in life because if I'm telling you this, you know, there are plenty of people who are going through this too. And I'm pretty sure they will want somebody that's going to be really willing to fight for 
it just like they're fighting for it. That's what Ally Shut is about. It's about connections. It's about empathy. It's about uh, assimilating. It's about decolonization. It's about all of these things that you have to willing to you know be willing to let go to help these people if you really care about them, if you really care about their issues, if you really care about change. You have to go beyond just thinking like, oh, if we fix this, then I can wash my hands of it because, no, it's, the struggle is going to continue. And as long as we keep changing things and building relation with each other, we can decolonize the shit that's oppressive and systematic and, you know, toxic in society, in our lives, personal and societal. And just, you know, it's, it's greater than just, you know, saying that I'm with this person, I'm going to stand here with them because... Is something that I feel like I need to do for myself. No, you need to be doing that for them. You need to be doing it for the movement. You need to be doing it for the community. You need to be doing it to make change in your life and to change the lives of the people who wouldn't necessarily get involved with these type of things. And you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't be an ally and and go home or, go, or you know, to whatever space you're going and listen to negative talk and just walk away from that situation and then come sit in my face and tell me how beautiful the movement movement would be. Like, that's so backwards. That's ass backwards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's really wrong. And it's really, you know, felonious. And it's, it, there's no way that you can be an ally and allow things like that to happen, to be a, afraid of confrontation. Because we deal with confrontation involuntarily. You know what I'm saying? And there's nothing that's really going to change that. We have to be willing to love each other on a level that's beyond ourselves, Mm. that gives us understanding of each other. Why is it so important that we want these movements? Why is it so important that it has to happen? Because look at how much pain it has caused. Look at how oppressive it is. Look how it has separated families, you know, like so much. And Mm -hmm. allyship is just more than a four, you know, being an ally. The word ally is more than just those four letters. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's about the work. It's about the heart and soul and energy that you put behind it as it is with, you know, any words or labels that we attach to ourselves. What do we put behind that? What definition are we going to give this? You know what I'm saying? Because ally and being an ally to a lot of people just means, oh, I'm going to, you know, bake some cookies for (laughs) fundraising or, you know, and then they think that they've done the hard work. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And it's, it's way, way deeper than that. And I just want people to understand that. Word. Thank you so much, Cece. Thank you, Chella. Much love to you all. Much love to the work you're doing. I can't (gasps) wait to see you in Chicago for the Color Violence Conference. Thank you for uh, to the listeners for listening to On Resistance. You can catch us on on onresistanceradio.tumblr.com or listen to other shows on soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. That's where you can hear uh, the full two hours of our show, our interview with um, Chella and Cece. And thank you all. Much love to you. Bye. Thank you. Yeah.